Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and I'll be your host for today. And to kick things off, we would like to highlight a Shields Outdoors podcast customer of the week. Earlier in the week, we had posted a question on Facebook and Instagram stories asking who had an awesome ice fishing story. We had quite a few really good responses, but one that was super intriguing came from a 14-year-old Prior Lake, Minnesota native named Maverick Nevin, who responded with, We just caught 45 walleye in an evening set up in four feet of water. That was enough to get my attention, so after reaching out to get a bit more of the story, We found out that they were going ice fishing for an evening and were pressed on time, so they just decided to set up close to shore and give it a shot. Turns out that was the right decision because they absolutely crushed the walleye in four feet of water, some of them being really big fish. If you look on either our Shields Outdoors Facebook or Instagram pages, you can see a post of Maverick with two dandy walleye from the evening. This story goes to show that you can't be afraid to set up shallow for walleye, especially in the evenings, and we often drive over some of the best fishing when we go out and set up where we think are some of the best spots. Thank you for your submission, Maverick, and congratulations on being chosen as our Shields Outdoors podcast customer of the week. Today, we are going to be talking about ice fishing, and joining me is Matt Schneider, Shields fishing expert from the Fargo store. Um, You might have also seen him on the Instagram page that was recently launched, Fargo Shields Outdoors, where he's given a ton of great tips and information on uh, not only ice fishing, but just all the outdoor space in general. So, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to do a podcast about ice fishing. So perfect. Yeah, you don't like ice fishing at all, do you? No, no. no. <laughs> ice fishing is scary. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it, it can be scary, especially in the early time when uh, when the ice quiz isn't quite that safe yet. But um, now we're into uh, we're into January. Stuff's getting pretty thick, especially in our area. So uh, now's now's definitely the time to get out there. Oh yeah, it's definitely go time. I mean, definitely there's still some like spots of sketchy ice where it's like five to six inches yet. So I don't think we're in the spot where we can drive out on every lake with our pickups. Uh, but make sure if you do, make sure you're checking the ice and being safe out there. So mm-hmm, absolutely for uh, for kind of the hardcore angler, it's it's nice this time of year because you really don't get all that vehicle traffic and stuff. You can kind of get a few more of the spots to yourself. Yeah. And I mean, this year's definitely been a crazy year. So, I mean, every lake that I've been to is just scattered with people. So, and that's a good thing. Like I'm excited to see everyone getting out there and going ice fishing, but at another time I'm like, why are you in my spot? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So no, I mean, at Shields and just as conservationists in general, it's, it's awesome to see so many people getting into ice fishing. So, and it's really, it's, it's not that difficult. You really don't need a ton of gear to start. Like the, the fish don't care what kind of jacket you're wearing or, you know, what auger you drilled through to get to them. You know, it's just get out there and enjoy your experiences. Exactly. I mean, if, as long as you can drill a hole through the ice and if you have a rod and reel, you could go out ice fishing. And luckily for us, like this month and last month, we've had a lot of really nice weather days 
where you could just sit out in the lake on a bucket and be perfectly fine. You don't need an ice house or anything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this, this past weekend was one for me. Absolutely. Like I, I went out with, uh, with a buddy in my family, we went out to a, to a fairly local lake with, with really good structure. And we just, we went out, uh, you know, seeking, searching, hole hopping for, for crappies. And it was, it was probably the most fun I've had in, in quite a while. That's awesome. Yeah. It's one of those things when you get a good weather day, I mean, you could, you could drill 200 holes on that lake and be just fine. Like mm-hmm. you don't need a nice house to warm up or anything. That's what I really like about what the, our weather patterns are lately. So, yep. And, uh, you know, it has been stable weather too, which is super nice. You know, like if you get in those huge temperature and barometric pressure fluctuations, then that kind of tends to turn the fish off. But, you know, it's been, it's been kind of a perfect storm lately for catching fish. Exactly. That's one thing that I've noticed is like once you cross the North Dakota and like Minnesota border, North Dakota lakes have no snow on them like very little snow and minnesota lakes have snow on them like completely covered i fished a minnesota lake the other day and like my spot was a 200 yard walk and i thought i was going to go into cardiac arrest because i'm just (laughs) not ready for that walk through that snow but if i go to north dakota like the wind is literally pushing my sled across the ice Mm -hmm. so that's that's been a really good thing for like North Dakota anglers this year is it's really easy to get out on the ice, like no matter how much gear you have. And if you don't have like a snowmobile or a four wheeler, it's really easy for those guys to get out on the lake. Mm-hmm. How's the, how's the ice thickness in between like your, your farthest Western lake you've been to versus farthest Eastern? That Mike is a loaded question. <laughs> I fished pretty far West this year already. Um, but no, like I haven't been, that far west since like early ice and early ice there was like three inches out there on one of my walleye lakes but anything like further uh, east you start to get a lot more ice so let's just put uh, Medina into like an aspect Um, once you get further west of Medina the ice thickness like starts to lessen so Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as you get east of Medina all the ice has been pretty stiff like steady over there so um and that goes all the way to the border to minnesota but mm-hmm. are you were you seeing like a, a decrease in ice thickness due to the snow cover at all or is it pretty similar there i mean yeah pretty similar over there and it's another thing too like the further west you go obviously a little warmer it gets in the state so um and they had a couple like warm spells i mean in bismarck I want to say like the first weekend of December, it was 55 degrees there. So it's been kind of one of those things where the weather patterns further west have just been a little bit warmer. So um, I know a couple guys that have been fishing like north of Bismarck, like Audubon, uh, they're fishing like Chida, stuff like that. But um, ice thickness has been kind of varied all around this year. So mm-hmm. have you Have you been able to make it south ice fishing at all? Um, a little bit, like I've been fishing a little bit south of Jamestown too, and fishing has been good basically everywhere. I mean, most fish have been biting each time that we've went out. So like you were saying, with steady weather patterns and good barometric pressure, um, I mean, every slough, every lake is hopping off. Mm -hmm. So, 
good to hear. So, yeah, I mean, obviously you're, you're from the Fargo area. I'm from the Fargo area, but you know, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is as long as there's ice out there, I mean, the, the applications are the same. So, so just cause, just cause we're not in Fargo here, <laughs> the listeners and from Fargo is, we'll, we'll provide some good information here. So, um, you know, what, what sort of species have you, tar- have you been targeting so far this year? Um, I've mainly been going after yellow perch. Um, there's just some about North Dakota perch that just get me excited every year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And the, you know, that's one thing that I, I haven't done yet. And it's, it's my own fault, you know, like I, I live in the area and the, you know, you can go and you can find sloughs and you find stuff that's really not that far away, but it's just, I, I've ha- always had the walleye and the, and the crappie bug. So, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about perch. Um, how do you, for somebody that hasn't done it or hasn't went after it how do you go about starting like how do you find lakes that you want to i don't want i do not i'm not asking for any (laughs) of your secret spots here but just like generalizations how do how do i find stuff well what's really nice about north dakota is uh on north dakota's dnr website there's actually like a where to fish uh section and like once you click on that you can actually uh, pick the county that you want to fish in, and it'll it'll name all the lakes in that county that have been previously stocked, or they have a netting report on that lake. Um, but one thing that I've been kind of like experimenting with is the closer and closer you get like west of Jamestown, every slough in that area has perch in it. Absolutely every slough, and you just gotta Swiss cheese it and try to find them. But one of those lakes is going to be, uh, it's going to be amazing. So you just got to get through that aspect of like drilling through five different lakes and then finding that honey hole that no one knows about. Mm-hmm. So, so just a, just a lot of research and effort and not being afraid to, to drill some holes. Honestly, like, and that was probably my big goal this early ice season was try to figure out as many lakes as possible. Uh, it's really hard for anglers to just get on one bite and then say, that's really fun. I'm going to go there again tomorrow. It was really hard for me this year to go, man, I caught fish there yesterday, but I'm not going there today because I want to figure out another lake. So, mm-hmm. and that's, that's going to benefit me later in the season when, uh, let's just call uh, slew number one, everyone knows about it now. And there's 300 people out there. And slough number one can only fish probably 60 people. <laughs> now I don't have to rely on going out to that lake. I can rely on going to the lake to the south now or like whatever direction your slough number two is. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a lot of effort, but it's definitely rewarding in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're when you get to lake number one, that you that you want to try out you never been to before what's your what's your strategy to start like um especially if it's not mapped you know do you do you just start in the middle and drill a hole and and search around or what's what's going on there i mean it all kind of determines on like what slew number one kind of looks like uh if it's not mapped and if say if i'm going after perch I'm then like trying to get an aerial view of the lake and try to see like what kind of looks like reasonable where there should be a drop off. Like if there's a big cut bank right on the shore, you know, more times often than not, 
that lake's gonna drop off right there. So uh, those are like some key features that I'm kind of looking for. But during the early ice season, when you can see directly through the ice, uh, more times often than not, I'm actually just walking the shoreline and seeing if I can't find healthy weeds. Okay. Uh, we've been catching a lot of like our early ice walleye and a lot of our early ice uh, perch in the weeds in like six feet. Um, and you gotta wait till dark for those, uh, obviously, but more times often than not, that's what I'm doing. So uh, it's really just kind of taking a look at the lake and seeing where, what would be a justified spot and then just Swiss cheese the whole lake basically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and it's a, it, it gets a little bit easier to do when the lakes aren't super huge in size, so. Right, and a lot of those like no-name sloughs that have fish in them, I mean, they're not, they're probably three football fields put together. It's nothing crazy. So a guy could go out there and figure it out in half a day. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of the fish want to cooperate that day. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the age old question. Like, yep. So when you're first starting, are you, what are you using for, for baits? Like, are you getting pretty aggressive right away to just try and find fish and get them to, to mark, attract them in? What's your strategy there? Yeah, so I'm going to have two rods uh, with me each time, like when I'm trying a new lake. Um, one's going to be with an ultralight rip and wrap. Uh, so that way I can drop that down right away, see if they're being aggressive or not. And the second one's just going to have a tungsten and some waxies on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the one-two punch for me, especially for panfish. I mean, everyone loves catching panfish on that ultralight rip and wrap. Yeah. It's probably the most like fun I'll ever have pan fishing is using that lure. But if I need to use the tungsten to catch fish, I have that option with me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is absolutely a great one to punch because then, you know, you got a little meat on one of them, not moving as fast, you know, to get those ones that are that are a little bit finicky. But um, that rip and wrap, you know, you're going to you're going to target those aggressive fish and you can fish water fast. You know, you just drill a hole, drop down there instantly and. You know, you're you're making a lot of commotion down there. So yep. if you if you get anything that's interested, you're gonna you're gonna pull them in from a little ways. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. And more times often than not, with that rip and wrap, you're not only just targeting the more aggressive fish, you're targeting the bigger fish too. So you're not gonna have to deal with um, all those eight to like nine inch perch. You're gonna be getting that like upper class limit, like from that twelve to up. So mm-hmm. that's what's really nice about the rip and wrap. Yep. So, so with these schools of perch, are they, are they similar to a crappie in an aspect where, you know, if, if you're using a big lure, then the smaller ones are not going to be as comfortable leaving the safety of the pack, but the bigger ones are going to come and check it out. Well, yeah. And that's, that's kind of one of the things that I've seen this year. So one of our, one of our fishing buddies has a live scope. Um, and we actually ended up dropping that down the hole and what we're seeing more times often than not is the little fish are schooled up and there's like three or four bigger uh, fish following them. So you're going to see that school of like nine to 10 inch uh, perch. And then we're seeing like three to four, you know, anywhere from 13 all the way up to 15 inch perch. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are definitely the more aggressive ones uh, by far. So, yep. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to fish with uh, with live scope this past weekend as well. And and I'm telling you, for for suspended fish, it is it is an absolute game changer. Yep. So and just the ability <laughs> to to cover water, you know, I mean, you you can 
you can cover water without one, but the the time saving and the drill saving is unreal because like the, we were targeting crappies. So we went, we've, we've had a lake that had great structure and we just went, you know, the night before, let's mark some basins. You know, this, this one's next to a weed line. This one's next to a couple of humps that are offshore. And we just, we picked probably 10 of them that we wanted to check throughout the day. And we had a, we had a group of people fishing with us. It was actually, um, it was myself, my friend who had the live scope. I actually, I, I got a panoptics too. So we had oh, two okay. of them running out there. And then we had, um, a, a couple of family members of mine that, that don't fish mm-hmm. pan fish a lot. They, both of them are just huge. All of them are huge walleye people. So, um, and, and pan fish suspended is, is a different animal. So when you, when you don't get on them, it's tough, but like when you can find the schools, it's, it's some of the most fun ice fishing you have. So, um, you know, we got out there, we went to, we started out at a big community hole, you know, like there was, there was a hundred ice houses on these two little (laughs) holes and you know, it's like, okay, well let's scan around. Let's see what's going on. And we, we dropped, we dropped the pan optics and the live scope down, scanned around and, you know, we'd see a few fish scattered here and there, but it's like nothing to get super excited about because like, you know, it's, it's a community hole. There's a hundred houses there, all the aggressive ones. Most of the aggressive ones have been caught. Yep. So it's like, okay, we just kind of confirmed our suspicions that we want to, we want to check somewhere else. So we, uh, you know, we went to another, the next hole closest to it. It was probably maybe three, 400 yards away. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple people on it, not too many. We scanned down and, and we found fish. We've, you know, groups of them. So we're like, okay, this is pretty early in the day. We're going to, we're going to target these fish. So make sure we see what we are. The, the nice thing about the live scope is the definition. You know, you can tell, like you drop it down, like that's most likely a school of crappies. Right. So, and then, and we found schools of bait fish too. You know, it's those ones on, especially like the difference between the pan optics and the live scope, the, the live scope will show that they're bait fish. The pan optics is just like a, a giant blob. So it's like, mm-hmm. it could be bait fish. It could be crappies that are stacked like closer together. So started fishing them. We pulled probably, you know, maybe six or seven of them out of there. It was, it was doing, we were doing okay, but not great. And we found those fish were moving quite a bit. So, um, so myself and, and the group kind of stayed and tried to catch those fish while the other guy with the live scope was, you know, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to, we'll, we'll check out the other basins that we'd previously marked and see what's going on. So he went hop, 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 hop. And then, you know, probably an hour later he calls me and is like, Hey, are you catching fish? You know? Yeah, we got a couple, like, a, you know, I caught a nice five pound Northern on an ultralight, which took five, <laughs> five to 10 minutes of my time, but was pretty sweet. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, have you, have you guys, have you found anything yet? And he's just, I found the mother load. So, okay, <laughs> let's pack our stuff. Let's get going. You know? So in, he was, he was a, a decent ways away, but still within eyesight and, uh, and we got over to that school and we had, it was just a wall of fish. Like I, I'd driven my snowmobile to him and I saw he had one on the ice and was pulling another one up. I was like, okay, game on. And, <laughs> um, and we found this school of fish that was probably, oh, it was 
10 to 15 yards long. So we could, we had five people fishing and we could, with the live scope and the pan optics, we could see exactly how far away they were and drilled our holes accordingly. And, and it was amazing. You know, it was just, is one of those days you dream of. And, and the good thing about it too, is the weather was perfect. You know, it was, it was almost 30 degrees, no wind. So you could sit out and you could hole hop and be comfortable and, and the fish cooperated to stable conditions. It's just one of those times where it's like, okay, you need, you need to get out there. You know, you got your honey do list, you know, try and get as much of it done before. And you know, that can wait until next week during the, during the week or whatever, like times like that, you got to get out, you got to take advantage exactly. of it. And, and yeah, it did, honestly, it, it didn't even really matter what they bid on. It's just when you find them, you find them, just make sure you, you have your lure above them and get, get them to chase. Once they start chasing, they were, it was game on from there. Nothing beats a good upbite from a 14 inch crappie, right, Mike? Oh man, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, that's awesome. Especially like what you're saying about getting out there. Um, we've had awesome weather this year. So, and the, there's never, I can't think of a time that I've been able to hole hop in January and not be freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time in the, like in our area, it's always negative 20, negative 30, like every day in January. And this year's definitely been a blessing so far. So, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not quite as much of a blessing for our Southern states that are still waiting for ice, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, I guess we kind of have it haven't made it up here up in the, yep. the northern stuff but you know that doesn't mean you can't just take a weekend trip up head a little farther north and get yourself on exactly. some good ice so um speaking of trips do you have any uh you have any fun trips planned this ice season well um usually each ice season we usually take like three or four trips up to lake winnipeg um that will not be happening this year um but we are going to go to fort peck in march or late february we're kind of like teeter-totting between if the ice is going to be safe enough out there, obviously, because they don't they don't get as much ice in mm-hmm. on Fort Peck as they do like in North Dakota. So we're going to take a trip uh, out there. Um, th- late this month, I'm going down to like the South Dakota sloughs. So I'm going to go do kind of the perch hopping in South Dakota, uh, being that I've been doing in North Dakota for so long. I kind of yeah. want a little bit of a different scenery. And, you know, I just got to fill the gap with not being able to go to Winnipeg this year. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. I, uh, I had a trip scheduled with my, with my dad and brother to go to Winnipeg last year. And obviously it got canceled. Actually we were scheduled to go the week, the border closed. Yep. So we were just, we were looking eye in the reports, <laughs> like, is it going to happen? Like if we get up there, we're going to be able to get back. Uh, I'm just, I'm really chomping at the bit to get up there. Cause it is just, you really can't co- expect, explain or compare it to any anything else until you actually go out there yeah i i can't compare it to anything i mean that lake has literally thrown me down to the bottom of the lake and then one fish like i can be up on top again it's one of those lakes where you can go from zero to hero in a matter of like 30 seconds Mm -hmm. yeah Absolutely. That's, that was exactly my first experience with Winnipeg. You know, I'd, I went up there and day one, we did, we didn't fish the whole day we were driving. We took off like super early in the morning, like four o'clock or whatever, mm-hmm. and got out there. And, and by the time we were out fishing, it was like 
one o'clock. So we, we fished from one o'clock on and a front had just came through and, and we didn't, we did not catch a fish day one. So I'm like, man, I've spent all this time preparing and getting all this gear ready and, and to not catch a single fish. But you know, yeah, we were out there for three days. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to get down too much, but like day two, we got out there, we found a pressure crack and, uh, and started fishing on it. And, you know, I was five, 10 minutes into it and I'm just kind of looking around and, and seeing what's seeing how many people are in the area and things like that. And I had one hit that literally almost took the rod out of my hand. Yep. And <laughs> I just, I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't caught a fish yet. <laughs> I don't know how aggressive there. I hadn't really fished with like big baits either. You know, I'd, uh, I'd done a lot of fishing in the Midwest, you know, finicky bites, stuff like that. These fish are a different animal. Like they, yep. they hit it angry. Yep. So yeah. And I, and like, I, I was looking on and off on my flasher. I don't even remember if I was looking at it, but there's no way I'd have marked that fish. It came in so hot and first fish of the day, 28 and a half inch walleye. Like, yep. okay, this is why I came to Winnipeg. And those, <laughs> the coloring is just fantastic. Oh yeah. It's so cool. It's definitely a remarkable like, uh, color. That's for sure. Um, no, our first trip, well, this would be actually my second trip up to Lake Winnipeg. Uh, we were driving out there first day, like right away in the morning, and my sled tipped over when I went across a pressure, uh, like pressure ridge. And within 10 minutes of being on Lake Winnipeg, I had broken two electronics, three rods, and my ice auger. Ooh. Five minutes later, when we got to the spot, my buddy drilled me a hole, and I just started fishing. My first fish was 29 and three quarter. Oh, so in a matter of a 10 minute span, I went from zero to hero and that my trip was made. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yep. made. Yep. That lake absolutely does that to you. Yeah. It's brutal, but it does it to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought one of the most interesting things I think about Winnipeg is the structure because it's just, there's nothing out there. It's just vast. I mean, there's, there's one, two foot changes, but it's like gradual over time. You know, if, if anybody that hasn't fished Winnipeg, but has fished like Red Lake, that's a, that's mm -hmm. kind of mini example. And, you know, just, you have to figure out structure somehow. And it's like, the structure is on top instead of the bottom. Like you're looking yep. at pressure ridges as structure. And that was just like a totally foreign concept to me. But when you think about it, it makes sense because the walleye have to figure out how to trap those bait fish somehow. And, you know, like in your, in your lakes with structure, they'll go and they'll push them to points and, and stuff like that. Just so there's less, you know, area to cover. So to do that up at Winnipeg, these pressure cranks. Yeah, and that's that's probably the number one lake that taught me like don't never settle. Like mm -hmm. drill hole, fish it for ten minutes, don't don't mark anything or don't catch anything, keep moving. Like that is the one lake and it was very hard for me to understand, like not waiting there and being patient for the fish to come to me. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's the one lake that taught me. Yeah. Just had a whole hop. Yeah. And whole hopping. That's, you know, it's kind of the number one curse of like your ice castles and your really convenient fishing stuff is cause like once you get those set up, it's, it's awesome. Like you're super comfortable. It's, it's great for kids obviously and, mm -hmm. and things like that. But in terms of like finding fish and moving, it's, it's tough. So I guess kind of what, 
what, what we've been doing is, you know, I, I've got a friend, uh, quite a few friends that have ice castles and we'll set them up in like your, your evening bite and your morning bite and potentially night bite stuff. And then we'll throw in our portables with it and we'll hop during the day. So that's, uh, that's kind of been, kind of been my MO lately. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, I love ice castles. It's just the fact that I can't move around, but more than likely if I'm fishing in an ice castle, it's middle of like beginning of February, late January, where usually it's negative 30, 40 out or whatever. And the fishing is not that great. So I'm just like, all right, yeah, I'll come fish in the ice castle. I guess I'll be nice and cozy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, from a convenience perspective though, I mean, it's, oh yeah, it's tough to beat. like, you know, you got the TV in there. If, if you got your kids, they can, you know, watch some cartoons while you're, while you're jigging. And, um, or if you have a, if you have an underwater camera, throw it up onto the TV there, that that's, gets pretty cool. That's a big thing that this like year has presented us. Like a lot of these guys who have ice castles that are bringing out their kids that are, like aren't in their sports right now. Um, they're asking like, Hey, how do we get these kids like in like enjoying the sport and blah, blah, blah. And like get excited about it. And I just ask them, do you have a TV in your ice castle? Yes. Perfect. Get a camera. Mm-hmm. Really? Why? Because when you drop down that camera, you'll be able to see everything. And that's like amazing for kids to see that. And yeah. they'll get super excited if they just see a fish. I get excited when I see a fish on the camera. So um, cameras are definitely awesome for people who have ice castles and who have TVs in them. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just going to, you know, retention and keeping people excited about the sport. You know, it doesn't have to be kids either. You know, people that, mm-hmm. you know, people that are older and are looking for something to do, you know, and get them into ice fishing, you know, once, if you can watch the fish on a TV and see them hit and then, you know, it's, it's like video games, but then all of a sudden you're reeling up a fish and, you know, like right. <laughs> you get to, you get to catch it. If, if it's a good size, you get to eat it, you know, it's, yep. it's pretty awesome. No, it's definitely exciting with how many people are getting into the sport this year. Um, I'm loving all the stories that are coming back to the Fargo store. I'm seeing a lot of pictures this year. And basically, most of the lakes that I'm driving by have people all over them. So it's it's really good to see that people are finding something to do. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what are the what are some of the most commonly asked questions you're getting in the in the ice fishing department these days? Um, probably number one is what do I need to get started? Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of a long takeaway, uh, where like we go one-on-one with that customer and we kind of like figure out what you all have and what you all need uh, to get started. Um, but mainly it's just like, what are the lures that are hot right now? Um, a lot of guys come in and they just basically ask for the hot lure going up to Lake of the Woods, you know, gold rattling blade spoon. That's what I've been hearing. So they'll go clear the shelves on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are probably the m- more common questions that I'm getting this year is like, what's a hot lure? I'm going up to red uh, this weekend or um, what do I need to get started? So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, let's dive a little bit more into those common questions. So like we'll save the lures for the next question, but okay. um, let's start with what do you need to get started? So like, say you've got, just a family that was super into hockey and now hockey's not going on. So now they got their weekends free. They want to try ice fishing. Like what do you, what do you recommend? What's the starter kit for that type of person? 
Um, it all really kind of depends on like ice conditions too. Um, because if there's thin ice and there's a family that just wants to go try for a weekend, I'll 100% recommend a hand auger. Uh, those work awesome through clear ice and like thin ice too. Heck, I even still have a hand auger uh, to use when there's three inches of ice because mm-hmm. I, I like to get rid of a lot of the weight. Um, but like say if right now if a family came in and asked me uh, what to get, like if they wanted to try it right now, I would probably... I'd probably recommend we have a gas auger at the store. Um, it's a very price point auger, so that's really nice. Um, and honestly, a hub shack. Um, if they're just getting into the sport, you're not going to need a sled shack um, like or a sled house, whereas a hub house, you can get that whole family out there and pack in light, pack out light, um, and everyone's got lawn chairs, so uh, you could just throw those in there. But mm-hmm. um gas auger hub shack um and then obviously your rods and reels and you can vary those with what you're fishing for so yeah so that is really going to come down to the to the application like i want to target sunfish i want to target walleye yep you know tip-ups are good too you know it's especially in your states where you can have multiple you know like minnesota it's two North Dakota is four. So like you definitely want to have tip ups there. (laughs) Like you're not going to jig four lines. Right. So you might as well throw a couple tip ups out there. And, you know, especially if you're on fishing like a break line or a weed edge or something, Mm -hmm. you know, just take two tip ups, set it and forget it. And, you know, make sure to watch them every once in a while because you never know what's going to be on the end of those things. Exactly. Probably, probably one of the more like common tip ups uh, that we've been selling a lot is the iFish Pro. That though, have you ever used an iFish Pro? I have. This was my first year using an iFish Pro, and I I am with what you're gonna say a hundred percent. Game changer, mm-hmm. game changer. Um, the fact that I can put like any rod in this tip up and have a fish like take it, and I could set the hook with a rod and reel, game changer. Mm-hmm. I can now set tip ups for perch. I could set tip ups for crappie. I I could go all the way across the board because now I have that rod that I can actually set the hook on and not yank its face off with my hand, so. Yep, yep, and uh, I'm actually gonna take this one a step further. So iFish Pro, awesome. Being able to use that rod in there, but um, so more of like a 202 tip for the iFish Pro, uh, the Akuma Samar bait feeder, and then pair it with a, like, depending on what you're going for, if you're going for panfish, like a panfish snare or a walleye snare or something that's something that you're really going to see that bite. And with that Akuma bait feeder, it's got that secondary drag system. So you click that up and you can have it where it's just like, if you pull anything at all, like it's going to let it go. So it's basically like the fish don't know that they're being hooked, but you're still running a tip up like that. That system is so awesome. I tested it out on Red Lake earlier this summer, not summer, winter, but um, yeah, for, for the flag to trip and for them to be able to take like, cause normally, you know, you'd open up your bail and, um, and, and that works, but you know, like you could, sometimes you can have a mess. Sometimes it gets complete snag, but like with that bay fitter, you have just enough tension where the fish doesn't really know that it's caught, but you're not getting into that mess. And then like one turn of the handle and it clicks into your normal drag that you have set up and, and you're ready to roll. Well, and that's one thing too. I've, I've learned that I need to kind of position my fish pro in a certain way, like depending on the wind. 
because that wind will kind of like, say if I set it up east-west and the wind's blowing like north-south, that will blow my line like off my bale. Um, and so I've had to notice, I've noticed that I have to like kind of turn that iFish Pro and mm-hmm. face it into the wind so that way it doesn't blow off my bale and uh, get stuck on the ice. So I've had that happen a couple times to me. Okay, yeah, because nothing worse than like you have it down for an hour and then it's like, man, that iFish Pro hasn't done anything for a while. I better go check it out. And then all of your, you know, your ice is, or your your line is iced to the to the ice there and then you reel it up and your bait's gone. And it's like, yeah. oh, well, that's why I haven't seen anything <laughs> in an hour. Uh, that's, that's just all the little nuances of ice fishing that you just, yep. you don't really understand until you get out there. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things you gotta live it, breathe it for a little bit and then you'll learn about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's plenty of frustrating pain points to ice fishing, but you know, once you really get into them or you catch that one big fish and you know, you, you have stories for your lifetime then and it's enough to get someone really hooked. Well, and that's one thing is just like keeping your head up. Like if I go out and try a new lake and it doesn't pan out, like I didn't catch a fish, make sure you keep your head up and keep like trying because you're going to run into that honey hole and you, you are going to, you're going to catch a lot of fish. So it, everyone always runs into that spot after five or six failed attempts. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of what I've been seeing a lot. So, yeah, absolutely. So all right, well, let's go back into that lure question. I'm I'm kind of curious for your okay. for your insight on that one too. So, what are some of the the top lures that you've been selling this year, and why are they effective in in their applications? Um, I mean, the rip and wrap is probably number one. All sizes for the rip and wrap because you can catch anything on a rip and wrap. Um, that's really nice. But, um, like for the rip and wrap aspect, your sizes like your fours, your fives, uh, mainly, those are gonna be mainly targeting like your panfish and your like ultralight series too. Mm-hmm. But like anything up, they're catching a lot of like walleye pike on them, stuff like that. That's by far my favorite lure like to fish for walleye. Um, but no, we've been selling a lot of clam leech flutter spoons this year too. Okay. So, um, and that's kind of for that guy who just needs to fill up a tackle box uh, clam leech flutter spoons, you can literally catch any fish on those. Uh, they come in the small sizes and they go all the way up, um, I believe to one eighth. Um, so like they're bigger sizes. So, um, just getting a little bit of marabou, uh, hair on that, on that spoon is really nice for, uh, flutter spoons. Cause mo- more times often than not, I don't even need to put a minnow head on those clam leech flutter spoons. Um, but it all depends on how aggressive your fish are being. So been mm-hmm. seeing a lot of those go out. Um, the Sling Blades by Acme, those are a very, they're kind of like a finesse tungsten with a little more action. So the, what's the shape? Uh, that's actually a lure that I'm not familiar with. So okay. what um, what is the shape and stuff? And Well, so it's like a normal tungsten, but rather than the hook being like steady where it sits, when you jig that, uh, tungsten up and down, the hook moves up and down too. So it almost has like a hinge system where the hook kind of like freelances up and down. So if I have bait on there and if I'm dealing with, if I'm dealing with aggressive or even finicky bluegills, I've seen it with finicky bluegills, getting that hook to do that little bit of movement with like a wax worm on it, mm-hmm. it crushes. Um, that's been 
a hot seller this year for people who have tried it. I've, I've, we've been selling a lot of them to guys who've tried it and now love it. And now they're coming in and buying more, but it's very hard to kind of explain that to that new customer. Like, Hey, this is hot this year. You should yeah. try it. So, yeah. So I, I feel like that might come down a little bit into jigging cadence too. Yep. Yep. And that's a big thing too. Um, rod selection with what lure you're using is a huge factor. Um, like if I'm using a medium heavy rod with a tungsten, that it doesn't work. Uh, mm-hmm. You're not going to get the proper action out of that tungsten. You're not gonna. You're not going to be able to catch those fish. So, um, like being able to find the proper rod for what you're targeting is huge. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. You know, like when you, when you're first starting out, like you can you can catch any fish on any rod, mm-hmm. you know, if you're using a bobber and a minnow or whatever, you know, like that, it doesn't matter as much. But if you're getting into the, especially the plastics and the aggressive bait game, like then you got to start working into getting a different rod, you know, like you have your, your noodles and things like that for your tungstens to let it perform to its desired action. But then you move to, you know, like your, your bigger spoons or your, your baits like your ripping wraps and your tika minnows and stuff you need to get yourself a fast action rod that will allow that lure to to perform to its best yep and before you ask mike we do not have any tika minnows right now oh well you know it's a good thing that i stocked up before but um (laughs) when do you think they're gonna they're gonna get back in stock do you guys have any idea um you know everything's kind of been a little delayed this year so, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of one of those things they are on order, but when they come in, they come in. Yeah. So. That's, that has to be one of the biggest frustrations of the store. You know, like we want to have everything for everyone, but a lot of times it's just really out of our control. You know, this, we don't have our own shipping fleet that's tied to our store, you know, like they're helping everyone, yep. the Amazons, the, you know, with the whatever. So yeah, that's, that's a pain point, but you know, we're, we're doing our best to keep everything in, (laughs) in that we, in that we can. Yeah. And especially with how many fishermen that there has been this year, it's definitely hard to keep stuff in stock. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we're placing a lot of orders. We're getting a lot of stuff in. Um, we're just trying to make sure that we can take care of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that perfect storm with our, with our situation right now in the outdoor space. Cause like people are looking for activities to do and fishing and hunting. And that is, it's one of them, but, um, like being able to forecast this increase of, of activity and desire to do stuff like that's hard to do and then get stuff shipped when, when shipping is, is, you know, not easy makes it makes it a little bit difficult, but you know, like the, the nice thing about shields is, is the variety, you know, like, okay, maybe we don't have the chartreuse Tika minnow in the number seven size, but you know, we've got a, you know, we've got a jigging wrap instead. I was going to say we have a clam or not a clam, a Rapala jigging wrap in the clown color. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So is, as long as you are using the proper cadence and the, you know, in the right spot, you know, like that color isn't going to be quite as important, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it is something new that they haven't seen and, you know, slightly different actions. And so, some lures are definitely better than others, but it's still better to be out on the ice with something. 
versus staying at home on the couch. Exactly. And that's one thing too. I mean, if you're catching walleyes on a tikka minnow, a chicken wrap, TN60 or a rip and wrap, those fish are eating anything. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're catching them on the most aggressive bait, they're eating everything and anything in sight. So just get your rod in the water. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Number one rule, get your rod in the water. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I am curious about some of these lures though, in your style of cadence, like how do you fish a jig and wrap or a tikka minnow? Like, are you, my questions are, do you, are, do you use it with bait? Are there sometimes where you do and when you don't and how hard are you ripping this thing and how long are you leaving it paused? Like, let's go through the whole thing. So if I'm using like a hard bait, like a rip and wrap or a jigging wrap, um, I'm not, I'm never using bait. Uh, I used to, then I realized that I don't need to. So, um, I don't use bait anymore on those, but say if I'm using like a, say if I'm using a tikka minnow, um, I'm popping it really hard, like off bottom first go at it. And then I'm kind of bucking broncoing it. Um, but it all determines on like what fish I'm going after. And if there's a fish like underneath me, mm-hmm. if there's a, okay. Fi- when you say bucking bronco, what do, yeah. what do you mean there? Like just a quick, like up and down, up and down, uh, action, like with your hand, okay. uh, just to get that rod tip kind of moving. And then it gets the lure obviously moving. So, um, but it say if there's like a fish right below me, um, I will raise that bait as fast as I can, uh, determining on how fast that fish is moving up. So say if the fish is moving up slow, I'll move the lure up slow. But if it's coming up fast, I'm trying to move that lure up as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So Um, you're basically playing keep away with those fish? Yeah, and especially like when you are fishing that clearer body of water, um, the more time you give that fish to kind of key in on that bait and look at that bait, they're gonna get less interested because they're gonna realize that it's not natural. So, Mm -hmm. and this is for those bigger fish, obviously, but um, with clear bodies of water, and if they're moving up fast, get your lure up fast because they will chase it and they will hit it. So, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've been using the Tika minnow and uh, like I used jigging wraps for quite a while before that. And, um, my, my style has been a little bit different. I, I tip it with, uh, a minnow head and I feel like that's almost kind of a crutch, yep. you know, cause like I, I know this bait catches fish and I, I have confidence in it, but I'm not confident enough in my abilities that I'm going to fish it without <laughs> bait yet. You know, cause like what I'll do is, and part of it's into, into like the rod setup too. Like I know, like I fish it with a couple of rods that are a little bit spongier than, mm-hmm. than what I would desire. So I'd, uh, that's my own fault. You know, like I have the, <laughs> I have the right rods and then I just get lazy and just switch it onto something. But one major, major key with it is fish it with a barrel swivel. Oh, so yeah. it's not down there. Because like, if you just tie one of these Tika minnows or whatever to, to your line, like it's going to sit and your line's going to get memory. It's going to spin and that is not going to act natural at all. So mm-hmm. I've got that much figured out, <laughs> but, um, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll jig it. I'll give it like, I really like to raise it and then, you know, kind of feel that my, my bait still has momentum and give it another quick pop. So it gives like Mm -hmm. kind of a one, two 
jump and then I'll bring it back down and I'll, and I'll, I'll hit it hard on the bottom a few times and make a, a cluster and then I'll get another glide going. And then after that, I'll give it some twitches and stuff, especially like if I've seen a fish respond mm-hmm. to my initial cadence and then, but a lot of times like I'll find that I, I get a fish marked and coming in, but I won't get them to bite. So yep. do you have any suggestions on that? Because I, I'm doing something wrong. Like I am getting the aggressive ones. Like some of them will just come up and absolutely smack it. And that's what right. I love about this bait. <laughs> but a lot of times is I'll get them to come up. Hey, I'm interested in that. But then I can't close the distance. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Fish are, they have their own brain. They have their own mind. So I mean, if they're not going to bite that lure, they're, they're not going to bite that lure. And especially if you're tipping it with a minnow head, mm-hmm. I mean, that should be a, that should be a hit instantly. So, I mean, if you're getting fish that are coming up constantly on the Tika minnow and not hitting it, I'd probably have that second rod with like a spoon or a rattle bait on it. Yeah. So. Or just, you know, tip it with live bait, get a, get a bobber mm-hmm. and a minnow and have, have that sucker swimming around like crazy. Exactly. That's, that's a good point you bring up. Like these, these Tika minnows, uh, uh, jigging wrap stuff, they're great for calling fish in. And then the closer is oftentimes the, the little red hook with the liveliest minnow you can get. The Gemini with a bobber on it. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's been the demise of many a fish. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay, well, let's move on to the the leech flutter spoons mm-hmm. that you were talking about. So, what is your style of cadence on those baits? Uh, big long uh, strokes for like a rip up. Um, I'm letting that bait. Uh, slowly go to bottom and that's a big thing that I feel like a lot of spoon like users are kind of doing wrong so um, they just release their bail and they let that spoon just fall and with those flutter spoons they're gonna fall like so far out of the cone angle that it almost starts going sideways and it's not gonna look proper like especially if I'm fishing like a clear body of water that doesn't look natural for the fish so I release my spoon slowly like going down that way I still see it in my cone angle Mm -hmm. um but yeah I'm letting that bait hit bottom and I'm just doing like one long stroke up then a couple short strokes up um and the thing about those flutter spoons is uh the light is going to hit so many different angles on that spoon so you're going to be calling in fish from everywhere yeah it doesn't have like a rattle in it or anything but you're going to be attracting the fish from everywhere with just that that shine of light yeah. So, um, will but, you will you let yours hit the bottom often, or do you fish it above the bottom? It really kind of depends. Um, like if I'm seeing a lot of fish like just hanging off bottom, then yeah, I'll probably I'll probably pound sand a little bit with it. Um, but I'm mainly suspended with that lure, like a foot off bottom. So the the big thing with a spoon is calling in the fish that weren't normally going through that area. Because that's one thing that a tika minnow and like a rip and wrap does is it calls fish that aren't coming into that area originally. Whereas a spoon doesn't have that much aggression if you're not going above that one foot mark. Okay. So, yeah, yep, that, that way, makes sense. Especially yeah. if you're fishing like drop offs and, and exactly and depth changes, you know, like you have to get above that one foot just so so fish can see it, you know, like because yep. if you're making two or three inch little jigs, 
you know, like it's physically impossible for a fish at a different depth to be able to see that just because there's, there's a hill in the way. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's some good insight right there. So I, that's one of my, one of my baits of choice is the, is the leech flutter spoon. It used to be the VMC tingler and I still absolutely, I love that lure. Absolutely love it. Small ones for the panfish, bigger ones for the walleyes, but just the, the flutter it makes. And you know, like when I first started fishing that lure, like I would, I would drop it down just below the ice and then kind of start dropping it down and figure out what the cadence would be like. And you were exactly right. If you drop it super fast, it's going to get out of your cone angle. It's going to make some really erratic stuff. It may like tie up in your line and then mm-hmm. you're, and then it's, you're not going to catch fish, but like drop it down a little bit so you can see it and figure out what sort of jigging cadence you want to do. And, and what I really had good luck with, with those, with those tinglers is like, I will raise it up six inches and then I'll let it flutter to like my original point. And then I'd raise it up a foot and mm-hmm. then I'd let it flutter a little bit and do kind of like, like a stairs. Mm-hmm. And then I'd end up getting like two feet, two, three feet or whatever. And then I'd, I'd go down in like six inch increments where it would still, it would drop kind of fast and really flutter, but still stay in that cone angle. Right. And then once I get like, if I mark a fish or if I get to the bottom, then it's just your little quick twitches to, to kind of keep that fish interested. Mm-hmm. So is, is that kind of what, like your style okay. too then? Yep. That's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And like me personally, I'd always tip it with something. I don't know. Maybe it's that crutch factor again or whatever. <laughs> you still fish the flutter spoons and the tinglers without bait too then? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. So like if I'm hole hopping, Absolutely not. I will, I'll just use that hair on the back of the, on the treble hook and just use that as an Mm -hmm. attractant. So, um, especially if I'm hole hopping and if it's super cold out, I don't want to put my hands in a minnow bucket and then bring it back (laughs) out. Absolutely. (laughs) Just another thing that's going to get you cold. Yeah. So, um, and I've noticed in the past, like you can use a lot of these lures without bait and still catch fish. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's been like a huge thing for me to learn because I used to be the same way. Like I used to put uh, a full frozen minnow on Lake Winnipeg on my TN60, which is a big rattle bait. Yep. Um, and I used to put that on there and one of my buddies just, why are you doing that? Like they're going to hit it without it. And that was also a big thing that kind of taught me like, wow, why do I do this? So, yep. but, yeah, it's very interesting. The progression as an angler you know, like you start out and, you know, like a lot of times it's just a bobber and a minnow and find yourself a weed line. You start catching fish and then it's like, okay, I want to, I want to target bigger ones or I want to find new areas of catching fish. And the, and the things that you learn is it's pretty awesome. I mean, you can get a ton of information on things like YouTube and podcasts like this, but you just, you have to get out there and experience it yourself. Yep. So yeah, that's, that's super cool. The best way you learn is uh, just going out there and experiencing it, like hands-on. That's been a big thing with, like, what we're doing this year is just trying new bodies of water. So it's awesome to see all the people out ice fishing, that's for sure. So, Mm -hmm. 100%. All right, well, we have covered some great information here. Like, 
I personally learned a lot and uh, I'm, I'm hoping the viewers out here will, will learn a lot as well. And, you know, if they have any questions, make sure to reach out to us. But so I would like to ask you for three mat tips. I want one for your beginner, one for your intermediate and one for your advanced. What do you got for us? All right. So probably for the beginner is going to be uh, safety first, honestly, this year. Um, dealing with a lot of awesome weather this year. So ice isn't ice isn't at the point where you can drive on every lake with a full-size pickup truck. Um, so make sure that you're, you're going out there, checking the ice before you drive a rig out there. Um, talk to other ice anglers out there. Uh, the thing about ice anglers, we're all nice. As long as you don't get too close to us, we're all nice. So mm-hmm. if you just come up and say, hey, how's fishing going? Or how thick's the ice here? You think I could drive a pickup out? Like, just come have a conversation with us. Yeah, so. absolutely. And that reminds me of one other thing, too. Not stealing your thunder here. No, but, you're good. Um, if you don't have an auger, if you can't afford an auger, Go out to a place that has people, and if you're nice, they'll drill holes for you. So Absolutely. if you're saying, I can't get into fishing because I can't afford an auger, people, ice fishermen, are generally nice. So just if you ask, they will 100% drill holes. Like, I've had that happen in, for me, and I would never turn somebody down if they asked no. to drill a hole. And I think a vast majority of people are the same way. Exactly. But yeah, anyways, continue. <laughs> okay, so safety would probably be number one for like my be- for the beginners anyway. Um, second, for like the intermediates, I would say just study, study your state, study your lakes, uh, make sure you're picking like the best opportunities to go fish. Um, so like for North Dakotans, hop on that DNR website, go to the where are like where to fish section. And literally just study the lakes up and down and see like which ones are around you that you haven't hit in a while that had a really good stocking or a netting report last year. Um, so that's a big thing like for ice anglers is you can't move like in a boat. So make sure you're studying like what lake you're going to and studying like what spot you're going to hit too. So, mm-hmm. but, um, and then I guess for the experts, always stay mad at them. That's all I got. <laughs> oh, I like it. You know, that's kind of your signature closing for, uh, you do a lot for Fargo Shields Outdoors, right? The new yep. Instagram page. I do. I do. And that's kind of my big thing is always stay mad at them. Gotta yep. say it at least once. So. Yeah. And you know, it's great advice too, because you know, if you get complacent, you're not going to catch as many fish. Exactly. Stay angry, catch more fish. Exactly. Stay mad at them. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Love it. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Um, if people have any questions, you know, you can reach out to the comments of this of this podcast. Go to Facebook, Instagram pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Also, Fargo Shields Outdoors on mm-hmm. Instagram. You're going to get a hold of Matt and the a host of other experts at that store. So, and with that, you know, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and if you guys, if you guys have any questions, make sure to just send them into the DMS for uh, like Fargo Shields. I'm always on there, like answering questions. So, and if you see me out on a lake, come say hi. Mm-hmm. You know what? And he's in store too. We've got a bunch of, uh, we've got a bunch of ice fishing experts that are ready to answer any question that you might have. Right on. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well, hopefully everyone enjoyed this segment. If you're not following us on 
the listening platform you chose today, make sure to hit that, uh, hit that follow button. We want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.